Gamarjoba, and welcome to the history of Sacadvelo, Georgia. I'm your host, Roberto, and this week we're talking about Myth 8, The Wolfman. This time we will be joined by Bree from Pontifax, who will read the first half of our story, and I'll read the second half, which is always followed, as usual, by a discussion. This story will take you through a nice loop, and uh, I'll just say, there is a wolfman, and you'll find out what happens. So uh, let's get the story started. There was and there was not. There was a wolfman. The wolfman walked in this world, and he would eat everyone on his way and destroy everything. Among other places, this wolfman took advantage of one city and ate all the inhabitants there, young and old, including cattle. He only saved one brother and sister. He left the brother and sister in this deserted city and told them, Stay here and don't leave. The wolfman himself went to hunt to a faraway country. The brother and the sister obeyed and lived there. The entire city was in their hands, except that there was nothing that could make their hearts happy, because there was no human left alive. Let us see. It turned out to be that one traveler mounted his horse and entered that city. He looked here and there and saw that the city was beautiful. Shops were open and valuable goods gold, silver, and diamonds were abandoned. The traveler took pity on the city, cried a bit, then continued on his way. He walked through the streets of the city and noticed some smoke coming out of a house. Here lived the brother and the sister. The traveler came to them and asked, What kind of disaster has happened to this city? The brother and the sister told the traveler that the wolfman ate all the inhabitants, and he only left this brother and sister alive for no apparent reason. The man told the boy and girl, Dear children, since he ate the entire city, come with me, and I will take you to a safe place. No, replied the brother and sister, he is the type of wolf man who will come after us and eat us. Nevertheless, the stranger convinced the children that his stallion was as fast as early morning breath, and the wolf man would not be able to catch up with them. So the brother and sister agreed. The traveler sat them on his horseback, and they left. Although the wolfman was far away from the city, he still found out what had happened and went after the boy and girl. Soon he caught up with them and took the children off the horse. Then he ate the traveler together with his horse and warned the brother and sister, Only once I forgive you, and if you make the same mistake again, I will not spare you any more. Then he took the children to the same city, and he himself went back to hunt. Time passed by. Now another traveler, riding a better horse than the previous one, entered this deserted city. He also cried for a long time, and then noticed smoke coming out of the house. The traveler approached the house and called, Hey you, family men! The children looked outside. The children looked outside. When the stranger inquired about the city, and as before, the brother and sister related to him the whole story. Oh, then come with me, my children! Let me take you to a safe place, told the stranger, the brother, and the sister. We cannot come with you, said the children. The wolfman will come after us and eat us. The traveler still insisted. 
He tempted the children and then sat them on horseback, and together they left. Once again, the wolfman found out, went after them, and caught them. Then he ate the traveler together with his horse, took the brother and sister back to the city, and warned them once more. I have already forgiven you once. This time I forgive you for God's sake. And if you get tempted once more, then I swear I will not spare you. The wolfman then went to hunt. The time passed by, and let's see. One traveler riding a buffalo approached the deserted and empty city. Like the other two travelers, he cried for a while, then walked through the streets and saw smoke coming from one of the houses. He approached the garden doors and called, and the brother and sister came outside. The traveler asked, what is happening to this city? Indeed, the brother and sister told him the entire story and said, the wolfman ate everyone, but he holds us here. Who knows for which black day he is keeping us? My dear children, since you are in danger, then come with me. I will save you, said the stranger. Hey, dear stepfather, what are you saying? Told him the brother and sister. The other travelers were riding horses like morning breath, and even they could not save us. How are you going to take us to a safe place with your buffalo? So there is nothing else here to say. The traveler insisted and did not abandon the children. So he sat them on the back of his buffalo, and together they headed to the road. The traveler hits and hits his buffalo with his whip and puts the buffalo to flight. The buffalo goes so fast that one's eye cannot catch it. The wolfman still found out that the brother and sister ran away and went after them. As soon as the traveler and the children approached the sea, the wolfman caught up with them and the moment he was about to grab the buffalo's leg, the buffalo swam into the sea. What could the wolfman do now? He could not cross the sea, and instead stayed on the shore. Meanwhile, the buffalo swam to the other side. They came to a dry land, and now the traveler told the brother and sister, Here, this buffalo is a gift from me to you. Slaughter it and eat the meat. Then build a hut and cover it with buffalo skin and live there. Then take three bones from the buffalo flank, and your three wishes will come true. Indeed, the brother and sister slaughtered the animal and built the hut. When they did not have any buffalo meat left to eat, the brother became sad. What can we do now? How shall we continue to live? I wish I had a bow and arrow. And he suddenly remembered about the three bones. He took one bone and wished for a good bow and arrows. And as soon as he finished saying the words, the bow and arrows hanged over his shoulder. With the second bone, the boy wished for two good hounds. Suddenly, two dogs appeared right in front of him. Now with the third bone, the boy wished, God, give me such a finger ring that wherever I go, my ways are always open. Immediately, a wonderful ring appeared on his little finger. And indeed, wherever the boy went, all the roads would open for him. So the boy would go to hunt with his two hounds and bring food home and feed his sister. Once, as usual, the brother was gone hunting, but somehow he forgot his ring at home. His sister went to the seashore to wash the clothes. She looked and saw the wolfman walking back and forth on the other side of the sea. When he saw the lady, he called from afar, Don't you know what you have done? I did not betray you, but you have betrayed me. Why would we betray you? called back the lady. Because, continued the wolfman, I wanted to marry you and give my sister to your brother as a wife. As soon as the lady heard these words, she fell in love with the wolfman. Then she came back to her hut, took her brother's ring, tied it to a thin rope, and threw it to the wolfman on the other side of the sea. 
In such a way, she opened the way to the wolfman. So he used this rope and climbed to the other shore. Now the lady told the wolfman, if you kill my brother, only then I will marry you. The wolfman answered, I cannot kill him since I have given a promise to God. Instead, let's do this. Pretend you are ill, and when your brother comes and asks you what remedy will cure you, tell him you will see a dream tonight, and then you will know the answer. The next day you will tell him, there lives a boar in the mountain. Only the heart and liver of the boar's piglet will cure me. Otherwise, I will die. Indeed, when the brother came home in the evening, the sister pretended to be ill and went to the bed and started moaning. The poor brother almost fainted. What happened to you, my dear sister, and what is the remedy that will cure you? I don't know yet, said the sister. I will see a dream tonight, and tomorrow morning I will let you know what will cure me. The poor brother spent the night in tears. The next day, with a moan, the sister rose from the bed and told her brother, There is a boar in the mountain. Only the heart and liver of the boar's piglet will cure me. Otherwise, I will not survive. Your troubles to me, my dear sister. Only you survive and let your brother die if he does not go there and bring you the remedy for your illness. Then the lad rose, said a prayer to God, grabbed his bow and arrows, took his dogs, and left. He walked, walked, and came to that mountain. He leaned against his bow and stopped. As soon as the boar felt the smell of stranger, she rushed towards him with such a rustle that it felt the boar was carrying the entire mountain. The boar sees that the lad stands still and does not move. She thought, For how long now have I lived here but no one dares stand in front of me? And who might this desperate human be that he sacrifices himself like this? Without a doubt he is in some kind of trouble. I will find out first and then eat him. And indeed, the boar called the lad, Who are you and what kind of human are you that you dare stand in front of me? The lad took off his hat and called back, your troubles to me, my only sister is dying, and I was taught that only your piglet's heart and liver will cure her. Here I stand, and it is up to you if you give me the remedy or eat me here. The boar said, Well, my son, don't suffer any more. I have three piglets. Take one. I will still have two left. The boar gave the lad one piglet and told him, If you are ever in trouble, let me know, and I will help you. The lad took the piglet with him and went back to his sister cut up the piglet, and gave his sister its heart and liver. Now, as if pretending she was cured, the sister rose from her bed. The next day, the lad went to hunt in the forest. His sister went to the wolfman again and asked him, This time manage to do something to my brother and kill him, or I will cause trouble for you. The wolfman told her, What can I do? I cannot kill him, but you can pretend to be ill again and send him to the mountain to a deer. He will never come back alive. In the evening, the brother returned home full of game and saw that his sister was in bed and moaning again. What happened to you, dear sister? What is the remedy that will cure you? asked the lad. I don't know yet what will cure me, replied the sister. I will see a dream tonight and will tell you tomorrow. The poor lad spent the night crying. Tears would not dry in his eyes. The next morning, the sister told her brother, there is a deer in the mountain. If you bring me the heart and liver of the deer's fawn, I will be cured. If you don't, then I will die. The brother told her, Only that you are cured, my dear sister, and let your brother be dead if he does not bring that remedy to you. The lad made the sign of the cross, then took his two dogs and headed to the road. He walked and walked. 
After a long or short journey, he approached the place of the deer. He set the end of his bow into the ground and leaned against it. As soon as the deer felt the smell of a stranger, she rushed to that place with such force that her antlers tore and broke all the trees and woods and lumber in the forest. Then the deer stopped and looked at the lad and thought, Without a doubt, the boy is in big trouble, or he would not dare stand like this in front of me. Once again, the lad took off his hat, and crying, he asked the deer, Your trouble's to me. My only sister is dying, and I was told that only your fawn's heart or liver will cure her. I'm asking you for the remedy for my sister. Give it to me, or kill me right here. Well, my son, told the lad the deer, I have four fawns. Take one. It is yours. I will still have three left. Let me know if you are in danger. The lad took the fawn to his sister and cut up the fawn and gave his sister its heart and liver. Again, as if she were cured, the sister got out of bed and stood on her feet. The lad rejoiced, and the next day he went to hunt again. Again, his sister rushed to the wolfman and threatened him. This last time I tell you to send my brother to a place from which he will not come back alive. Otherwise, I will tell my brother about you being here and he will kill you. The heartbroken wolfman told the lady, Well, then tell your brother to go to the mountains and bring you the heart and the liver of a griffin's youngster. He will go there and never come back. Once more, the sister pretended to be ill and went to bed. In the evening, the brother came home and saw his sister moaning again. Again with tears, the lad asked his sister, My sister, what is upon you? What is the remedy for your illness? I don't know what will cure me, said the sister. I will see in a dream tonight, and tomorrow morning I will give you the answer. The sister started shutting her eyes, and with a moan she fell asleep. The poor brother spent the night weeping and grieving. The next day the sister told her brother, Brother, there lives a griffin in that high mountain. Only the heart and liver of her youngster will cure me, or I will die. Only you feel well, my sister, and let your brother be dead if he does not bring you the remedy that will cure you. The lad put his bow and arrows over his shoulder, prayed to God, and then took with him his two devoted dogs and headed to the road. The lad walked and walked and approached a huge mountain. He saw a high cliff with tall trees above it and thought, this must be the griffin's nest. Then he leaned his bow and stood still. Afternoon was approaching when the griffin flew to her nest. As soon as she saw the lad, she rushed down with a rustle, like an arrow. The griffin noticed that the lad did not move and thought, what kind of man might he be that stands still and does not move? The griffin then called the lad, what kind of human are you that you dare come here? No one walks here since they fear me. Tell me, what kind of trouble are you in, or I will tear you apart with my claws? The lad took his hat off and kneeled before the griffin and told her, Your trouble's to me. My only sister is dying, and your youngster's heart and liver is the only remedy that will cure her. Give me the remedy, if you will, or kill me and eat me here. Well, my son, said the griffin, take the worries off your heart. I have five youngsters. One is yours. I will still have four left. Then the griffin lad gave her her youngster and told him, Let me know if you are ever in danger. The lad took the griffin's youngster to his sister and cut up the bird and gave his sister the heart and liver. The sister rose from the bed as if she were now cured. The lad rejoiced, and the next day he went to hunt again. Once more, the sister and the wolfman gathered. Again, the sister told the wolfman, Whether you want to or not, you have to kill my brother. 
The wolfman replied, What can I do? I cannot kill your brother with my own hand. I have given an oath to God. Then he went to some place and brought a large pot for distilling brandy and a big thick chain and told the lady, Here is a chain. In the evening, when your brother comes home tired, ask him where he hides his power. Next, use a trick and tie his hands together with this chain. Then call me and we will do with him whatever we wish. In the evening, the tired lad came home. The sister lovingly greeted him. After some time, when the lad sat to rest, the sister brought him the chain and pretending to be eager to know, asked her brother, Dear brother, you always go to dark forests and dangerous places and commit marvelously courageous things. I wish I knew what kind of power or strength you possess. Let me tie your hands with this chain and test your power, whether you can tear it off. Dear sister, the brother said to her, I feel very tired now. Let me take some rest and I will show you my power tomorrow. The sister would not let him rest and insisted, No, dear brother, I want to know it now. For his sister's sake, the brother opened his arms and then put together the palms of his hands and told the sister, Now tie the chain over my hands. The sister tied his hands with the chain. The brother pulled his hands apart, tore the chain, and said, I can always tear that chain apart with my power. I don't believe you can. Let me tie your hands once more, persisted the sister. And the lad placed his hands on his chest and told his sister, Now tie my hands. Again, his sister tied her brother's arms with the chain. The lad tried to pull his arms apart, but could not tear the chain anymore. The sister insisted, Try once more. Use all of your power. The lad tried to pull apart the chain again, but it cut his hands, and blood started coming from his wounds. Can't you cut the chain? kept asking the sister. No, my sister, don't you see the blood? Take the chain off, begged the brother. Instantly, the sister called the wolfman. The wolfman brought the pot for distilling brandy, and they put the poor lad into the pot with his arms tied, sealed it, and threw it into the sea. With a howl, the pitiful devoted dogs, as soon as they saw what was happening to their owner, followed the sea current from the shore. The current took the pot, and it landed on an island. The dogs stood and looked at the pot and howled. Then they remembered the boar's words to the lad to let her know if he was ever in danger. Immediately, one of the dogs went to the boar's place, and the other one stayed there to guard the lad. The dog came to the boar. The boar at once recognized the dog and thought, Without a doubt, my friend is in danger. The boar asked the dog, Did you go to the deer? The dog replied by shaking its head. Then run and let the deer know, and I am ready to go, said the boar. The dog went to the deer. The deer also recognized the dog and knew at once that the lad was in danger. Then the deer asked the dog, Did you go to the griffin? The dog replied with a shake of its head. Then go to the griffin and I am on my way, said the deer. Now the dog went to the high mountains and the griffin. At once the griffin recognized the dog. It turned out that the griffin had already prepared a gift, a saddled stallion for her friend, the lad. Instantly, the griffin sat the horse and the dog on her wings and flew to the sea. Here's what the griffin saw. With her tusks, the boar tries to get the pot out of the sea, and the deer tries to reach the pot with her antlers, unable to pull it to shore. Then the griffin told them, I can take the pot out of the sea, but I will not be able to break it. Now the boar said, You just take it out and I will crash the pot to pieces. The griffin agreed, then rushed to the sea and blew her wings over the pot and threw it to the shore so smoothly that the lad did not even feel any motion inside. Then the boar rushed to the pot and smashed it to pieces. 
And here they found the unconscious lad with swollen arms and with the chain deeply stabbing into his flesh. With his teeth, so they would not injure the lad, the boar cautiously grabbed and cut the chain and freed the lad's hands. Then the friends dried his wounds and put bandages on his arm. The griffin granted the lad the stallion. The lad gave thanks to his friends. They said farewell to each other. Then the lad called his devoted dogs and asked them, Now, my dear dogs, I will need one more kindness from you. Try to bring my bow and arrows here. The dogs went and started running around the hut. As soon as the lad's sister saw the dogs, she screamed and yelled and threw stones at the dogs, calling, Go and get lost. May you die there where your master had died. The dogs did not leave, but watched the lady for a long time until she left the house. Then they ran inside, took the bow and arrows, and went back to the lad. The lad gave thanks to God, crossed himself, and mounted his stallion and went to the hut. He came there and saw the wolfman and his sister embraced in each other's arms. The lad did not stop or think, but pointed his arrow and shot and killed his sister and the wolfman. Then he left that place, and together with his stallion and two dogs, he headed to a big empty meadow. He walked and walked through this meadow, but they were all exhausted from heat. The poor dogs almost threw their tongues out. The lad looked up ahead and saw a cypress tree far away. They went to the tree. The lad tied his stallion to the cypress, and he himself lay down to rest beneath the shadow. Since he was tired and thirsty, he fell asleep. The dogs were dying of thirst too, so they ran here and there and found a creek. They drank from the creek and then jumped into the water. Suddenly their hair became coated with gold. The dogs ran back to their master and woke him up. The lad looked at the dogs and was astounded from what he saw. Then the dogs led the lad to the creek. The lad put his little finger into the water to try it, and suddenly a golden hoop swirled around his finger. The lad was astonished. Then he washed his hair in the water of the creek and suddenly his hair became a golden color. The lad took off his dress and dipped into the water. Now the lad was dressed in golden clothing. Next, he took the armor off his stallion and put it in the creek. Now he also had golden armor. The lad also sprinkled the water on his stallion's mane and tail. Now his stallion also had golden hair. So the lad, dressed in golden clothing and equipped with golden armor, headed to the road. He goes and shines. He traveled, traveled, and came to a mountain. He had looked and saw a shepherd driving flocks of sheep, and the shepherd himself leading against his club and singing. The lad approached the shepherd and called him. Immediately, when the shepherd saw the lad dressed and armed in gold, he started crossing himself. The poor shepherd thought that St. George suddenly appeared in front of him. The lad asked the shepherd if he would sell one sheep to him. Why sell the sheep? God give me your mercy. Take as many sheep as you wish, said the shepherd. I don't want the sheep for free. Bring one sheep here and tell me the cost. Then slaughter the sheep and give me the belly and you can keep the meat, said the lad to the shepherd. The shepherd obeyed and slaughtered the sheep. The lad did not touch the meat, but only took the belly, and before leaving, he asked the shepherd, Is there any village or city nearby? Yes, there is. God give me your mercy. There you will cross that mountain and behind it, you will see a city. The king himself lives there. The shepherd gave the answer. The lad headed to the road. He climbed the mountain. There he found a big slab of stone, 
lifted it, and hid his golden dress on armor under it. Then he left his stallion and dogs go free, but he told them, When you hear me tinkling with this bridle, instantly appear in front of me. He himself covered his golden hair with the sheep belly, and went and entered the city. He walked, walked, and came to the king's palace. He asked the guard, Tell me, does your almighty king need a worker? He sure does, answered the guards. Then they took the young man to the king. He was appointed as gardener. The lad took good care of the garden. He did such marvelous things that nobody could do. Once, the gardener made a beautiful gift and gave it to the king. This king had three daughters, two older daughters, and the youngest one. The ladies enjoyed the gift from the garden and said, How many gardeners we had before, and never have we tasted a fruit like this. Let's take a walk to the garden and see which tree this fruit comes from. Indeed, the ladies asked their father permission to go to the garden, and went there. The older sisters walked in one direction, and the youngest sister went to the gardener's dwelling place. She came there and saw the gardener had fallen asleep, and the sheep belly over his head was pulled to one side, and something shined from there. Quietly, the lady approached the gardener. She lifted the sheep belly over the lad's head a bit more, and saw his golden curly hair. Everyone called the gardener Baldy, since everyone thought he had no hair on his head. The young lady picked some cucumbers, one completely yellow, one half yellow, and one green. Then she took these cucumbers and went to her father. She put the cucumbers in front of him and asked, Guess what the meaning of these three cucumbers is? For a long time, the king tried to solve the puzzle, unable to find the answer. Then the king called his eldest vizier and asked him for advice. The vizier answered, Almighty king, those three cucumbers are three daughters of yours. The yellow ones means that their time has already expired, and the third cucumber means that now is the time for your youngest daughter to marry. Your daughters want to marry. Immediately, the king ordered up a banquet and invited all the noblemen of his kingdom. Then he told his daughters, Now, my daughters, choose the husbands you desire. The elder daughters chose the vizier's, but the youngest daughter walked among the guests, unable to make her choice. Then the king asked her, My daughter, don't you like anyone? Now the daughter answered, What to do, my father? He, whom I desire, is not present here. Immediately the king called his guard and asked, Did you forget to invite anyone? No, almighty king, answered the guard. Only the bald gardener is missing. The king ordered to bring the bald gardener. He was brought in front of the king. On his way, the gardener had caught a leveret and put it in his pocket. As soon as the young lady saw Baldy, she went towards him, but suddenly she stopped. The king noticed this and asked his daughter, What happened now, my daughter? Did not he come here whom you were waiting for? He is here, my father, answered the young lady, but he is hiding something in his pocket, and I don't dare approach him. The father said, Don't be afraid, my daughter. Close your eyes and go fall into his lap. So the daughter dashed towards her gardener and embraced him. Oh, let God grant you with the best. As soon as the crowds of people gathered saw the scene, they started shouting, What has she done? She chose the bald gardener as her husband. What else could the king do? He ordered a big wedding for his elder daughters, but dismissed his youngest one and her husband from the palace and sent them to live in a hen coop. Time passed by, and once the king's wife, the queen, became ill. Healers were unable to cure her, but they taught the king that only a deer's milk would make her well. Indeed, the king called his elder sons-in-laws, gave them his army, and sent them to get the deer's milk. When his sons-in-law left, the youngest son-in-law, the bald gardener, 
asked his wife, Go and tell your father to give me a horse so I can also go and try to find the deer's milk. The lady went to her father and asked, Dear father, give a horse to my husband too. He will also go to get the remedy. The king laughed at his daughter and said, Your husband commits such marvelous deeds here that indeed he will turn the world around if he goes there to get the milk. Now the queen asked the king, Give your son-in-law a horse and think as if you never had that horse. The king listened and obeyed. Then he ordered to give the bald gardener a lame mare. The gardener sat on the horse's back, and with feeble jogging, he headed to the road. When he was passing a marketplace, crowds of people shouted and threw rotten watermelons, apples, and other things towards the bald gardener. The gardener did not pay attention to the crowd and passed the market. He walked, walked, and came to that big slab of stone where he was hiding his golden clothing and armor. He lifted the stone and took out the bridle, then shook it and made a twinkling sound. Immediately, his stallion and two dogs rushed to their master. The bald gardener told the dogs to guard the lame horse before he came back. He himself, dressed in golden clothing and golden armor, mounted the golden-haired stallion and raced like a lightning in the sky. His brothers-in-law had not even gone halfway when the bald gardener caught up with them and blew like the wind and went ahead of them. His brothers-in-law took their hats off and started crossing themselves. They thought Christ or St. George had appeared in front of them. The bald gardener traveled, traveled, and came to his brother Deer. He was a king of Deer. Immediately, the lad let the Deer know that the king's army was coming and they would slaughter the Deer in his kingdom. Instantly, the Deer stood on one stone. Suddenly, the stone moved and all the Deer from different places rushed to their king and gathered in one fold. Only one lame Deer was late running and trying with all its strength to catch up with others. The king's army spotted this lame deer and went after it with shouting and screaming. They were about to catch a deer, but at that moment, the deer joined the herd and survived. The brothers-in-law approached the herd and saw the lad in golden clothing and armor walking in the middle of it. The lad greeted the army and asked, What do you need? Why did you exert yourselves to come here? The army men and the brothers-in-law took off their hats and made the signs of a cross and answered, God give us mercy. We came here for the deer's milk. Very well, said the lad. I will give you the milk. If one of you lets me mark a seal of my horseshoe in your thigh, and if another of you lets me cut off his right earlobe. The brothers-in-law had no choice, so they agreed. Then the lad went back to the herd, milked the lame deer, gave the milk to his brothers-in-law, and let them go. Then returned to the herd and milked a deer whose milk would truly cure the queen. The lad then mounted his stallion, took the milk, and went back. He raced the horse and once more, he caught up with his brothers-in-law on the road. As soon as the brothers-in-law saw the lad dressed and armed in gold, again they started crossing themselves. The lad came to the slab of stone and dismounted his stallion. Here came his two dogs and brought the lame horse to their master. The lad took off his golden dress and armor and hid them under the stone. Then he sat on the back of that jaded lame horse, and again he jogged back to the palace. He came home. His elder brothers-in-law had already taken the milk to the queen and told the king that they had paid a high cost for it. The king's wife drank the milk, but it did not cure her. Now the bald gardener asked his wife, Go to your mother and take this milk. Let her drink it. Perhaps she will get well. Indeed, this lady took the milk to her mother and told her, Here, mother, my husband sent you this milk to drink. Perhaps it will cure your illness. The elder sisters started laughing at their little sister and told her, 
Go and get lost from this place. Who is your husband that the milk brought by him could cure our mother? There is no doubt that the good-for-nothing husband of yours milked some cow nearby and brought the cow's milk here. Nevertheless, the queen requested the milk, and as soon as she drank it, she was cured and her illness was gone. Everyone was greatly astounded. Then they gave gifts to the youngest daughter and sent her back home. Time passed by, and it so happened the king had to fight a war with another kingdom. The king gave the army to his elder sons-in-law and sent him to fight. Again, the bald gardener asked his wife, Go and ask your father to give me a horse, and I too will go and fight. The young lady went to her father and asked, Dear father, give a horse to my husband. He will go and fight. Perhaps he can be some help to you. As soon as the king and the others gathered in the king's chambers, heard these words, they burst out laughing. Go get lost. There is no place for your shameful husband in our army. The king gave a lame horse to his daughter, and she brought the horse to her husband. Once more, the bald gardener sat on horseback, and when he was passing the marketplace, crowds of people shouted, screamed, laughed, and threw all kinds of things at the bald gardener. The gardener did not listen, but kept on going, and came to a stone. He lifted it and took out the bridle. He shook it, and as soon as the stallion and dogs heard the twinkling sound, they rushed to their master. Again, the gardener dressed in golden clothing and golden armor, then mounted his golden-haired stallion and raced. He traveled, traveled, and came to the place where his father-in-law was fighting. The other king's army was about to win the battle, but at that moment the lad with his stallion rushed onto the battlefield, and soon the armies were falling on the ground, like a broken fence. When the king saw this brave fighter, he said, Thank you, God, for sending me this guardian angel from the sky. Then the king started to cross himself and pray. So the bald gardener helped his father-in-law win the war. When the war was over and the lad was about to leave, he suddenly cut his hand while putting his sword into the sheath. As soon as the king saw this, he rushed to the lad and tied his wounded hand with his silk kerchief. Again, like a wind flow, the bald gardener raced his stallion back to that stone. Here, he dismounted his horse, put on his old clothing, and before leaving his two dogs and the stallion, he pulled a piece of hair from his horse and told them, When I burn this hair, you have to appear in front of me. He himself sat on the back of the lame horse and went home. The bald gardener came home. He lay down on the sofa to rest and fell asleep. The wife noticed a bandage on her husband's hand and recognized her father's silk kerchief. As soon as the bald gardener woke up, he revealed the truth and told his wife the whole story about how he won the battle and how the king put the bandage on his wounded hand. The young lady was pleased and rejoiced once she found her husband's courageous deeds. When the king returned home, when the king returned from the war as a winner, he gathered the noblemen and viziers and threw a big banquet. Now, who would even mention there the bald gardener and his wife? When the bald gardener found out about the banquet, he took off the silk kerchief covering his wound, gave it to his wife, and told her, Go to your father's place and manage to go inside. They will not give you the right to dance, but when your sisters start dancing, you two go and mix up with the crowd and take this kerchief out and dance with it. The lady did exactly as her husband had taught her. The older sisters danced in the hall, and as soon as they stopped, the youngest sister took out the bloody silk kerchief and started dancing with it. The king recognized his kerchief, and immediately he ordered his daughter to stop, and he angrily shouted to her, You shameless lady! Who gave you that kerchief? You covered my husband's wounded hand with it, answered the lady. 
What could your husband possibly be doing there? With that kerchief, I bandaged the hand of the angel sent by God to help me. And don't try to compare your husband to him, continued the angered king. Now the daughter answered, Dear father, if you don't trust me, then send your men over to our place and order them to bring your son-in-law here. The king sent four guards to bring the bald gardener to the palace. By that time, the bald gardener had already called a stallion and two dogs and dressed in golden clothes and golden armor. So he took a rest on his sofa and fell asleep. The king's men came there, opened the door, and saw the handsome lad dressed in gold. He sleeps and shines. They thought it was an angel, so they made the signs of a cross and went back to the palace and told the king, Your troubles to us, almighty king. Here is what happened. We could not find the bald gardener. Only an angel or a messenger of God slept in the hut. Go quickly and tell that bard gardener to come to the palace, and if he does not obey you, then drag him here, ordered the king. The king's men went to the hut the second time. Again, they saw the sleeping and shining golden lad. Trembling, the men went inside. In that moment, the lad woke up and asked the men for the reason of their visit. The man answered, God, give us mercy. We only came here to tell you that the king is calling you to his palace. Then the lad mounted his stallion, took his dog, and as lightning, he appeared at the door of the king's palace. There he rides his horse back and forth in front of the palace. The king looked outside and saw him. Then he sent ten grooms to catch a stallion and take it from the lad. The lad purposely handed his stallion to the grooms. Suddenly, the stallion shook his bridle and threw all those grooms to different sides. Then the lad took his stallion and asked the dogs to walk the horse. The lad entered the hall of the palace. Everyone had gathered there cautiously and diffidently bowed heads in front of him. The king also hesitantly asked the lad, Who are you, your majesty? I am your youngest son-in-law, answered the lad. The king was greatly astounded. Then the lad said, Do you recall the time when you sent your sons-in-law for the deer's milk? Ask them where they got the milk. They bought it for several thousand tumens, answered the king. Then look at your elder son's-in-law's thigh and the middle son-in-law's ear. Immediately the king called his elder son-in-law. He refused to come, but when the king's men brought him by force, put him in front of the lad's stallion and examined his thigh. The seal on his thigh was a perfect match to the horseshoe. Now the king called the other son-in-law. He had already pulled his hat to the side of his cut ear, so no one could notice it. The king's man asked him to take off the hat. He refused. Then the guards forced him to take off his hat. Then they took the piece of the ear from his pocket and compared, and he became convinced that the earlobe was his indeed. After that, the lad told the king his entire story about all his courageous deeds and about how he became a bald gardener and how he found the deer's milk and the other adventures. The king was greatly rejoiced. He left the best palaces to his youngest son-in-law and gave him his elder sons-in-law and daughters as servants. It is said that the one who waited found salvation. So this happened to the bald gardener. And we're back from reading the stories. So hello, Bree. Thank you for joining us today. How are you doing? Hello. Thank you for having me. I'm I'm great after that very strange trip that we went on oh yeah it's just like the time we recorded about the uh the two enlighteners of the caucuses <laughs> there's just about as many stories in this one as there was then too <laughs> <laughs> that's for sure i am gonna take the liberty of not having you introduce yourselves again because we've 
posted the Patreon episode on the main feed, so you've been introduced already. <laughs> yes, everybody knows who I am, right? Famous. Yep. No. Famous. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> well, I want to thank you once again for joining us and um, just so everyone knows, I, Brie really likes spooky things. And I was like, the Wolfman sounds like a fun story. Let's send that to Brie. Yeah, I, I do. I love everything spooky. And I love werewolves. And this sort of was that. It, there, were some, of. there were some elements that certainly made me go, oh, boy. So not necessarily spooky, but awful. <laughs> so. <laughs> That's true. So just to get started, um, what are some of your thoughts on the Wolfman? Okay, well... First of all, like this is this is my first introduction to Georgian myth in this style. And you can tell that it's clearly initially not made for the English language, but it is twisting and turning. And this this could be a saga. This could be an epic in the sense that not we start somewhere and then we go somewhere else. And this story takes about five different twists and turns that could all be their own individual stories. So when I started this, my my concerns and thoughts were like very authentic, like, oh, I wonder what this is saying about Georgian history. What is this supposed to represent? We start off with a wolf man. And my first thought is like, does this represent a disease or an outbreak of plague or something violent and had all these historical context questions? And that quickly fell away because then it started going places where I'm like, oh, I have I have no idea anymore. <laughs> so <laughs> it was unexpected, to say the least. That's my first thought. And um, yeah. I'm very curious about motivations <laughs> in this story. What did you think of it? Well, the so like my first thing is I wanted to send you the story because one, the Wolfman sounded like a cool title. And I will admit, <laughs> I just sent you a story based on the title and I did not read this before I sent it to you. <laughs> um, so I basically when I did send it when I copied it so you, you could read it. I That's the day I read it. And I'm like, oh, this is interesting. <laughs> so I read the first two paragraphs. I'm like, oh, this is going to be scary. Here we go. Um, mm-hmm. But just for context, I think the Georgia, its name comes from Gorgia or Gorgia, which also comes from Persian, which means like land of the wolves. So this is like, okay. so basically it's kind of a hint that this is Georgian-esque because there's a wolf man who does a lot of stuff. But, and in the, yeah, no, go, ahead. go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, and in the first, let's say, third or a quarter of the story that seems much more represented in what the story is saying because it's about this wolf man who comes in and devours an entire city that's like very much in theme with the message and but he doesn't play a very long role and the role he takes on after that after being this like threat and he's this boogeyman for these children who are not supposed to leave the city and other people come to save them, but they're also lamenting at the loss of this city. There, There's definitely something there that feels cultural. And then it becomes like, oh, the Wolfman is suddenly this romantic figure to this little girl who grows up to be a awful woman who only has <laughs> one motivation in life, and that's to murder her brother, who's done nothing that we can sort of parse out to deserve that? Yeah, it's just like the the wolf is like, 
I love you. I'll marry you if you like let me come over. And I was like, lady, you've been trying to escape for the longest time. And this guy sweet talks you once and you're like, let me go into your arms, you wolf man. And kill my brother. <laughs> yeah, like where are your priorities? Like you knew we killed your whole family. Like, is this like some sort of like Stockholm syndrome you've developed or something? It must be. And then we get this this strange sort of notion that the Wolfman will not kill the brother because he's made an oath to God not to harm these two individuals in particular, or specifically will not murder her brother. But he, we know he's murdered an entire city of people. So there's, there's really no explanation as to why he's suddenly not willing to hurt the brother after murdering an entire city plus three travelers plus all of their livestock, the, the horses that they came to rescue these children with. So it's very confusing. <laughs> yeah, and that's the issue you see a lot with like Georgian myths is that there's a lot going on and like nothing's really explained. You just have to take it as it is. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like, and then I do want to preface this with the fact that this book is just like literally just translated and not like changed around. So this is like direct translation um, yes, from like definitely. Georgian to English. There's no uh, Sharina Kutsikidze, who's a person who did the translating. Thank you for your hard work. But these stories, she's wanted to preserve the original like meter and well as much as possible but like preserve it the way it was set up without making more changes um and i think that it goes to it's not a net benefit for the storytelling because you can still get the message but there's a lot of context that isn't shown throughout the story and it's kind of hard to follow at times because you're like wait how did this just happen um and there's no like footnotes that tell you culturally this is what's going to happen because of this or stuff like that, which is something I would love to include if I were doing the writing and translating for this stuff. But yeah, it definitely would benefit from some sort of annotated reading. But I have to say, even though it provides us no actual like extra context, I somewhat appreciated that you could tell that it was a direct translation because you could see in how it's told how it would be spoken out loud. This is clearly a story that's been meant to be told out loud and usually stories that are that are transmitted that way when you're storytelling you don't always provide so much context we get these moments where it's like now let us see so it's a storyteller sort of adding up the dramatics as they're saying it out loud rather than the way it would be read in in text yeah and i always do like reading these stories just because it comes out a lot more naturally sometimes mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of hard because I still stumble over some sentences because it's like, okay, that doesn't go there naturally, but I can see it was just direct translation. But most exactly. of it, I could just read like it was a normal story. Like I would be telling it out loud. Mm-hmm. Um, but with the content itself of the story, this story is basically broken up into like five, four different parts with like <laughs> two parts being like the, about the wolf and the other two parts being about what happens to the brother different. after. Yeah. It's like, wait, what, what is this story coming from? Like, And it, it makes me wonder if this was sort of an amalgamation of several sort of like folk hero characters that sort of got enmeshed into one. Because you could, like we said, you could tell these stories all individually and they'd be complete stories. So I wonder if there are like like regional folk heroes that 
are just this wolfman story and going to the mountain and meeting all these creatures. And then you have the one where he like goes out into the forest and becomes golden. That that might be a different character. And so someone's maybe put them all together for for the sake of this like very Grimm's Grimm Tales sort of thing. Yeah, and I would even like divide it between like the stories by, you know, the first one is the children escaping from the wolfman. Mm-hmm. Second one being, you know, the brother killing the wolfman and his sister. Yes. Third being, you know, the brother becoming the bald gardener and marrying the princess. And then the last one being the, you know, the go- the bald gardener, as he's called from then on, Baldy. Baldy. Um, <laughs> Baldy. Um, basically healing his mother-in-law and then being coming the favorite of the king. So there's four stories in within this yes. whole ordeal. And I can just see it. And I can honestly see the fact that maybe they were like, these are all the same characters. So why not just make it one long story instead of just separating them out and maybe thinking of them as different characters because it's still coming mm. from the, you know, the brother being the wolfman. And this is just his journey through life as an epic tale. Yes. Yeah. It could definitely be that as well. And it's, 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 I don't know. It's a very sort of strange journey. This, this person has lived quite a life. Yeah. You, you'd think this is like a saint or something, which, oh my gosh, is he St. George? <laughs> Well, there isn't a dragon, but you never know. He could leave the kingdom. Baldy could leave the kingdom and go and find one. It wouldn't be... That would surprise me less than a lot of other things. But, um, so it's actually a really interesting thing in, like, Georgian mythology where St. George appears quite often. Mm. Um, I know in, like, the third one that we read after we did... The first actual Georgian myth we did, Amiran... It was in one of the iterations of his mythology, he is actually looked over by St. George and like blessed by him um, to kind of help him throughout life. And mm-hmm. St. George is, appears very often throughout Georgian mythology up to the point where it's actually a recurring theme that he appears quite often. And you see him a lot in Caucasian history um, right. or Caucasian mythology, because once again, if we go back to the episode we did, it goes back to St. Nino, who is reported <laughs> to have St. George as her uncle. Like, yes, that's right. I forgot about that. So, yeah, so there's that whole, like, St. George will appear quite often mythology. And that's actually an episode we have planned for the future. Um, just kind of covering the mythos Lightings. of St. George. Yeah. Or even better, inviting the author who wrote the paper to talk about it. Because <laughs> oh, I think that would be a lot better. Um, and I've, I have his email, which is nice. So you should send that email. Yeah, you should send that email and find out if he's willing. And then if he's not, you could just cut this whole section out. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's just a conversation. Like I may do it, I may not. I've promised a few episodes already on the show that I haven't done yet. <laughs> but, that's fair. And that's, and that's fine. Sometimes there's not enough info. Um, but if the professor is willing, I am happy to talk with him about it. If not, I'll just do my own quick research into it. But there is a mention, you know, in the second part of the story where St. George is, oh my gosh, is that St. George? Because as you mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. he became, he went from dark hair to, to blonde, essentially. Yes. Golden And everything, everything about him becomes golden. He's wearing golden clothes. He's got golden hair, everything. And, and at several points, he's confused for an angel. So that would 
definitely tie into that sort of saintly mythos because it does, there are sections, at least, especially at the end, where it starts to read very much like a saint hagiography. It really does. And I think that's kind of like what they were inspired by, possibly, with Mm -hmm. the story. Because since it's oral, it's like, well, how do we remember something? Oh, they did this grandiose thing. He went out and, like, punished the people for lying. Or, you know, he basically punished his brothers-in-law for going ahead of him. I'm like, you're trying to save the same person. Why do you have to be so rude? <laughs> there's a, Well, there's a lot of, of, like, hostility and violence in this story that just seems to be sort of accepted as the general way of living. Like, there, there is a lot of animal death. There is a lot, like, the, there's a lot of sort of cold, dispassionate view of death in this story. All of the animals give up their children like, oh, I have one more. I have four more. I won't miss it. And then there's like just this sort of strange level of of uh, the wolf man killing an entire city and killing all these travelers. There's this sort of open violence that isn't really affecting anybody. And I think that comes from the culture itself. Um mm-hmm. Because I remember in one of my conversations with one of my Georgian friends, um, when I went to visit him um, in New York, we sat down and we discussed like, oh, you know, because there's two things the Georgians did when they were living. They farmed and they prepared for war because there was always someone invading. Right. So this cold, dispassionate view of death is like, yes, but we have another child, which is still works out for us. You know, people died, but that happened because... Whoever was invading, the Persians, the Russians, the Turks, you know, whoever came in would always destroy towns and all that to the point where people would just disappear and die. Mm-hmm. But one thing that he also mentions that, you know, we need to prepare for war at all times because we don't know if we're going to die the next day. So right. if we're farming or something. So I think having that cultural background where, You know, even their most popular dances, which I think I've shown you a bit of, Mm -hmm. possibly. um, (laughs) Those are all like, (laughs) yeah. So it's a lot of like war dances that these, you know, these are all like basically them preparing for war, being acrobatic, sword fighting. That's a lot of them just prepping for war. And they reflect that, you know, the nature of war and all that, if it's a lot of just like a lot of the men dancing. But this may kind of explain a bit of the, Oh, people died. That's okay. We have to give up some people to save the rest. It happens. Right. And not to not to make the Georgians seem like cold and dispassionate about death, because they care a lot. But it's just one of those of things where like you face it every day to the point where, okay, but you know, we accept it, we know it happens. Let's just try to be better and try to survive. Because you don't know if who's gonna be the next invading force into your country that'll, you know, tear down your village or try to changed your way of life. So do you think then, because when I read it, I was looking at the Wolfman because one of my favorite historical bugaboos is looking at the origins of supernatural myth, right? I love vampires, Mm -hmm. werewolves, zombies, all of that. And a lot of supernatural myth is wrapped up in explaining disease, right? Tuberculosis and typhoid and all these things often have caused the foundation or origin of some sort of supernatural creature. So when I was reading this, I was trying to figure out whether the wolfman meant some sort of plague or some sort of illness that was wiping out towns. 
do you think based on what you just said that it may be a better and more accurate reading to consider him representing some sort of invading force i would say that yes because it's he just came in and invaded the town and you know the one thing i wish this was annotated did annotate was where the story is from what region Mm -hmm. but because it doesn't say that but you can see it's close to the sea of sorts so (laughs) or at least a big river (laughs) it's close to a river or to the sea and there is the one sea that go that jason and the argonauts sailed through which is a big river. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. But one thing that I did notice is that if just reading back from like Herodotus, he mentions that the area t- tended to be like very like swampy, at least like the valleys would have like a lot of like diseases in them. People mm-hmm. would have like these massive like tumor like substances. I forget what their names are, but they're like these big like bulges on people's necks. Goiters. Yeah, that's the that's the neck bulge when you yes. don't have enough iodine. Yeah. Yes, that one, exactly. And he mentioned that a lot. So it could be that that may have also affected the village. And because of the mm. totemic wolf culture you find in Georgia, that there is this whole, you know, you put in the wolf man as this like very, between invaders and disease, you put this wolf man as someone who destroys everything and eats up everything and, dest- and takes up the cattle because it's, you know, the story starts... He would eat everyone on his way and destroy everything. So yes. could be an invading force, could be disease. and But those are things that you find in the region, especially if it's in the valleys. But mm-hmm. the, And that's assuming the Wolfman is set in the valleys of Georgia. But since we don't know the exact region, that's just me being hypothetical about everything. But mm-hmm. I, I do think that it does allow for understanding the culture a bit more because, as you mentioned, with invaders coming in destroying everything why wouldn't the wolfman be seen as like something who destroys yes and especially because we have these travelers coming in and grieving the loss of the city they're they're not from this area but they're coming through and they're seeing the destruction and it makes them all weep openly so it has to be some sort of reference or allegory to something that is catastrophically destructive one way or another yeah, and actually there's one line here that with one of the first travelers that come up and it says, it's on the first page. He looked here and there and saw that the city was beautiful. Shops were open and valuable goods, gold, silver, and diamonds were abandoned. So if this mm-hmm. was an invading force, that True. would be gone. Yes. But so I'm, I'm guessing that the Wolfman is more concerning something like a disease of some sort yeah. that these children have an immunity to. But the travelers don't. Yeah, so. that was that was where my first my first thoughts about this was was definitely this idea of like widespread illness and and also being a, a representation of why the children maybe couldn't leave because we know how carriers work in that sort of case. So it's that section to me the first section, not only because of the spooky wolf man, but because where I could actually draw some sort of parallels to what I know about supernatural history, it was the most interesting to me. Did you Mm -hmm. have a favorite section? Uh, Honestly, I think I like the first section the most. (laughs) It does get a little drug trippy after the first (laughs) section. It's like they grew up and then, yeah, after the first, the first section is like, all right, these kids are trying to escape from where they are, where they probably Mm -hmm. have been quarantined in and they make their way out. And I think the, and the last traveler sacrifices himself to save the kids. 
if I recall yes. that correctly. Well, he he sacrifices the buffalo that he has yes. that they're riding on and gives it to them as a gift because the buffalo is the reason they got across. Which again, I I don't understand the the way that they appreciate animals in this story is just yep, let's just kill him. Oh, I need a hat. I'm gonna wear a sheep stomach. Like some yeah. choices, some choices. <laughs> but at least a dog doesn't die. <laughs> Yes, no, no dogs die. The dogs are fine, <laughs> but yeah, it, it, the, but the livestock does die, which is what you and see a lot of, and, and the griffin, and the deer, and the boar baby. So, but I did think that that the rest did feel very fairy tale in that sense. Like it's so it's it's a king and a queen, and he wants to marry a princess, but he's a bald gardener. Like it feels very like. You can see the influence of general fairy tale culture and folk story in the latter half of the story much more, I think. Yeah, no, I, and I agree with that because it just, as you mentioned, just kind of goes from the children escape. They're told to not let not help the wolf across. Mm-hmm. And then and at that point, it just kind of goes haywire. Very haywire. <laughs> So do you want to discuss the second part? <laughs> sure, let's talk about it. So as 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 you as as everyone heard in the story, essentially the children get across and then the wolf tries to convince the sister to not, you know, to essentially go help him get across by using the brother's ring. Mm-hmm. Um and the ring lets them essentially just use whatever wish for anything that they want. And the sister yeah, you know, sends uses, this over to the wolf. <laughs> yeah, the brother uses all the wishes without considering his sister. Maybe that's why she's mad and wants to kill him. I don't know. But she very quickly turns on him and is brings the wolf over and is planning his demise with, with fake prophetic dreams to try and lure him into the woods where he does nothing but makes friends and kills babies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and... Yeah, and like I, I actually I didn't even think about that. Yeah, the sister why he didn't let the sister wish for anything. Yeah, he just is like, Oh yeah, I have three wishes. I'm going to make them all right now. So it's there is no other motivation provided for why this young woman decides that suddenly she needs to murder her brother. So maybe. Yeah, and I think it's also if the only man she's known her whole life is her brother. The wolf telling him her that, you know, oh, we, I, because then you get the wolf's motivation for keeping them separate. Keeping them separate was, oh, I wanted to marry you and give my sister to your brother as a wife. Yeah. So they wanted, basically, he wanted to marry both, marry both of them off and keep them in the family. But you get, you don't get a mention of that in the first half of part two, part one. It's just like, oh, you've betrayed me. I was keeping you to marry you. And she suddenly goes, oh, yes, that sounds very reasonable. I'm in love with you now. Let's kill my brother. Yeah. And it's like, oh, I'm going to marry my sister to your brother. And then it's like, actually, let's kill him. (laughs) And I'm like, what? (laughs) It is a choice. I'm I'm not sure why the motivation switches, but she definitely becomes... A, a different figure from this helpless young girl who is being held captive to suddenly just being this like very destructive force. There is a quite a big shift and suddenly she's not, there's no sort of sympathy to be had for her. 
And I feel like that's just a representation of women in mythology in general, where you really don't have like if someone's mm-hmm. an evil woman, you don't you're not given a reason for why they're evil. They they just are. Yes. Yeah. Um, evil women. Standard misogyny. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And Georgia is a very patriarchal society, which it still is to this day. Mm-hmm. But with the, I think with the sister just kind of wanting to kill her brother, I think the main reason that I find it being was just kind of jealousy because he's given everything and she's given nothing. And yes. she wants to have something for herself. Well, and that would that's where I come down on maybe she's mad about the three wishes because that's potentially the only reason I see that she could be upset with him because now the wolfman wants to marry her and and he it looks like she's poised to get everything because we have no idea what her life is going to look like as a as a married to a wolfman. And that's a theme you see a lot in Georgian mythology is that women would just marry these random supernatural creatures all the time. Hmm. <laughs> so yeah. And one of the, in one of the stories we read, they married a bunch of trolls. Well, like the Georgian, like ogre, essentially, I forget the name already, but a dev. They, yeah. They're, they're called devs like Devi. Um, so they married okay. devs and um, they're like, yeah, we're happy with our husbands, even though they're like the supernatural ogres and that's okay. And I think that's reflected, too, as we go further on in the story, because the only women that are presented are either dying or want to marry this boy. Yeah, and just to kind of quickly end part two, the, the, the mm-hmm. you know, the brother goes and gets help from all the woodland animals, as we mentioned, by having their cubs killed. Um, yeah, and they're just like, yeah, I want to be your friends now. You killed my baby. So let's let's be buddies. <laughs> yeah, and I thought, the, and then they, and then the animals save the boy after his sister gets him chained up and locked up in a barrel. Yes, <laughs> and, th- and then he comes back and kills them both. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, I mean, oh, they, I, can't, I can't. Again, they don't what? really seem all of that. They don't seem all that sympathetic. So it's like, yeah, I was cheering for him at that point. Yeah, kill the kill your sister and the wolf man. They've been nasty to you. Really, it's like all he does, like, oh, my sister's sick. Let me go help her. And he's and sister's like, let me kill my brother who's going to help me in my sickness. And I'm like, your your brother's doing impossible things. You're trying to get him killed. How dare you? Exactly. Which is what I think you know, kind of gives a sympathy towards the brother. It's like, oh, you know, he, all he's all he is is doing is being good to you, and you're trying to be mad bad to him. And I'm like, well, you know, what are you doing? Like that's not fair. Yeah, it doesn't make and he but then it seems like that seems to be a theme in his life as we move forward into part three is because this queen is is suffering and he's trying to help out. But nobody wants to take him very seriously or or treat him with any sort of respect. It's just sort of like, nope, uh, you still suck and we hate you. It's It's like all you are is a guard. All you are is a gardener. So why should we listen to you at all? You're not nobility. What do you know? Yeah, and so he's constantly shunted for having good intentions. And then he goes and kind of uses those intentions against his like brothers-in-law, his sisters-in-law, and then and essentially, I mean, I feel like part two is or like part two, three, four, whatever. Yes, <laughs> there's so many parts to the story, uh, but like the second half of the the story, at least the part that I read, which is a lot easier to probably say, um, where the 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 we we can just call him Baldy now because that's what it. Turns they turn his name into 
Because he's wearing a sheep stomach on his head, which I have to wonder if they actually meant bladder, because you could like stretch a bladder to like look like skin more than a stomach, I would think. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it was just one of those thoughts that you have and go, okay, this is the thing that's happening. Yeah. And they're like, all right, you're just a gardener who makes really good fruit for some reason. It's like you're, you know, you have a touch of gold when it comes to food. I'm like, okay. Um, Touch of gold. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, the, the youngest daughter happens to be see him with his golden hair one day because his sheep splatter or sheep stomach, you know, cap went up a bit. And I'm mm-hmm. like, so she knew who he was the whole time. And then I'm going to marry this man who actually looks really beautiful because he's golden haired. And that, yeah, and that's she also knew what just she like was the- doing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and that's a theme in Georgian mythology, too, where, like, you have these like near supernatural beings or like really beautiful people with golden hair. Ah. Yeah, that that's a big theme because one of the like principal goddesses, which I will cover eventually for Patreon, despite promising it for months. Um naturally. She, yeah. Um, she is her name is Dolly. She's a goddess of like the hunt and beauty. And she's also, you know, she has like her hair looks like golden flax. Or whatever it's mm. called. But she's golden haired and super beautiful. And that's just a theme you see. We're like, oh yeah, all blondes are beautiful. Which is, I think, a very big theme in like European um, mythology as well. Yes, of course. The fairness is is generally associated with like divinity and holiness and all of those things and beauty. So it makes sense. No, absolutely. And it even I think it even goes back to like the mythology of like Medea, because her that mm-hmm. is related to the Helios, the sun god. That's right. And even so, yeah. So Helios, you know, is like within like technically Georgian mythology as well. If you mix it in with the Greek, but it's still, you know, the Georgians still call the Greeks like the wise ones. So they have a respect for them. It's like it's even in like the name for Greek. It just means wise because of all the, right. the f- philosophers and the Greek colonies along the Black Sea coast. So there is a history there. Well, that definitely explains it. Yeah. <laughs> and it, uh, from what I can tell at the same time is the, you can, you can very much tell the more Christian influence in the second half of the story. Cause that's when all the St. George's oh, appear. When he, everybody is like, Oh, the first time he gets his, he gets his golden hair. I was like, are you St. George? And I'm like, he's like, no, <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> Yeah, there is definitely a higher Christian influence in the in the second half of the story. And you can see that like where the there's a sort of overlay of of piety, right? He's not doing anything. He's constantly selfless in what he's doing. He's constantly, you know, proving his good intentions. And so it's it's this sort of like he becomes somewhat of a holy figure in that sort of style, if not overtly, and you can see how that plays into how he's treated and then where the outcome comes from. Yeah. Cause you can even see if like in like most hagiographies, cause I think we've read, we've both read enough or oh, too yes. many. Um, we're like, he disguises himself as someone humble who just does work for the land. Right. And he's treated horribly for it. Yep. Definitely a whole, a whole genre of stories could go there. And most of them are hagiographies. Yeah, and then, you know, he reveals himself at the end. And I'm like, I am actually this amazing warrior who helped you in the battlefield. 
And it's like, oh, oh, we we accept you now. And it's like, wow, didn't accept him when he was a bald gardener, though. Nope, shallow, shallow all around. But now she yeah. can marry him, right? Well, the, luckily they were, you know, they were married, but then they were exiled. I was like, mm-hmm. come on, you to- you asked him to pick someone, and and then you decide, nope, she can't marry who she wants because he's not a noble. I'm like, all right, whatever, dude, whatever, king, you're you're horrible to your to your kids. And this is this is where it becomes really clear that this is an oral tradition again that it's not meant to be read because this is a place where if you're if you're actually sitting down to read these stories you would demand more context. If somebody is telling you this story around a fire or telling their children this story at bedtime, they're not asking the same questions that we want to ask about it because it's it's just sort of implied like you run with it. It is very much oral tradition put to paper. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's just one of the reasons like why I like being able to like read the stories first and then discuss them because like it's always nice to have these discussions because sometimes you notice stuff that I don't even think about and <laughs> as someone who's not in you know studying Georgian stuff constantly I think overall just kind of just give still gives a really good look at just kind of like the the Georgian mentality about stuff it even says you know the, the penultimate line is. It is said that the one who waited found salvation. Yep, which is definitely the the Christian aspect there. And 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 yeah, and me thinking like, all right, but did he really wait? He just like did stuff no matter what, and then ended up somehow doing his best. And I'm like, we don't really see his plan. But as you mentioned earlier, that is, you know, oral tradition. It just you you, you roll with it. If you yep. sit down and like analyze, you're like well, I have 1,500 questions, and then the story would end up being like 30 pages longer. Well, and it's it's that idea of sort of, it's the, the Christianized and they lived happily ever after, right? He found mm-hmm. salvation and, and was beloved by God is the sort of thing that you would see. I actually didn't even think about that. That is very true. It's like, oh, and they lived happily ever after. Oh, no. The, the one who waited found salvation. I was like, you need to wait for things to happen to you. You can't just try to force it. Exactly. And I'm like... Okay, so this whole being, you know, a bald gardener worked out, but it just, but this is where you really can't tell this is two different stories because it's like, and this is what happened to the bald gardener. And you're like, but, you know, the, the brother didn't wait in the first half. He went out and did things. Yeah, exactly. He didn't he's wait not, for his sister he's... to get better. He went out and worked to make her better. Exactly. But so, yeah, this story is all over the place, but it's, I think, I still found it fun. Do you have any? Final thoughts we want to wrap up on that then? I think we've covered it. Um, my final thoughts is that this was a very interesting story and I would recommend you guys read it, but we already read it to you. So um, <laughs> it's kind of a bit more of a look into Georgian mythology and it gives us a chance to kind of see what the norms of the time were, or at least norms of the long time ago, and just kind of what people kind of grew up listening to and reading it's just one of those things where it's like, okay, there's four stories in one story. So you got a bargain if you're this storyteller and going around places like, oh, you can just pick, you know, stop halfway, you know, a fourth through the story and then come back a week later, get more money for the next and or get yourself a nice bottle of Georgian wine and just finish the story at the end. It's like, yep, you waited. So you found salvation. And this is what happened to Baldy. Well, there you go. You've wrapped it up. See, my image is still very much of a, 
a mother telling her child the story as they're going to bed. So they're going to drift off the first night as the children finally get rescued. They're going to drift off the second night, right, as the sister and the wolf man get punished by death for their wicked ways. Then you have Bal- you have the golden story, and then you have Baldi. So you've got four nights of oral traditions to tell your children in one. So it's worth it. <laughs> And it really, it really is. So it's pretty great. And it's not a long story either. I think recorded like raw is like almost like 40 minutes total. So it's not too bad. Exactly. It's perfect for telling your kids before bedtime. Tell them it really the is. Man, give them nightmares. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so Brie, where can people find you? Uh, you can find Pontifax at any of your podcatching platforms or you can find us at pontifax.podbean.com and we are at pontifaxpod on all of your social medias come find us come tell us things show us your favorite popey memory we love it awesome and i do love pontifax so always recommend them highly oh thank you (laughs) of course and you can find us on twitter at history underscore georgia or on facebook at the history of sacramento georgia The website is currently still going under lots and lots and lots and lots of remodeling because WordPress is expensive and it's a pain to deal with. So we will have one. Good for you. (laughs) Well, the website is I switched the host, so I don't have to redo the whole thing. Oh, that's okay. That's okay. I can make it more to what I want now that I don't have to do as much HTML with it. So fair. (laughs) So um, you can find us on Twitter or Facebook. We post you know if you're listening to this you know exactly where to listen to us at um (laughs) i would hope so at least um and that's where i'd say and thank you for listening to the history of sacramento georgia see you next time (laughs) 